serving, I'm sorry, July the 30th, we'll be serving lunch at uh, Salvation Army. And if you would like to uh, volunteer to be a part of that, then see Sybil, and she will be glad to sign you up, and, and, uh, and you can be a part of that uh, important ministry that we have. Also, on the next day, on July the 31st, we'll be uh, hosting a uh, picnic and uh, some water games for the children of our church. And so please put that on your calendar. It'll be a fun, fun time, and uh, we look forward to that. You'll also notice in your uh, bulletin that we are doing something different with our basketball and cheerleading program this year. Uh, we are not going to be associating with upward, uh, the upward program anymore because it is, well, quite frankly, it's, it, the expense is getting um, too much for a lot of people to handle. And so we, we figured that uh, we could probably do it, could do it uh, more economically, uh, frugally by do, going our own way and doing our own thing. And so that's what we're going to do this year. And uh, we're, we're going to be doing some different things. And the cost is going to be a lot cheaper. And hopefully a lot of other people will be, uh, this will open up the ministry to a lot of people who would not otherwise uh, be able to be a part of this. However, this does mean that we will need you to help. We will need a lot of volunteers for our upward program for for basketball, for cheerleading, and there are all kinds of things that we can put you to work doing during these uh, those, these weeks of the program that will be coming up in the in the fall. So uh, so look ahead. Coach, oh we 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 already got one. Say okay, coach. We need coaches. Yeah, we will. Uh, that's the that's the main place we'll need some help. But we can put you to work in a lot of different ways. So so be looking ahead and thinking about ways that you can help us with our. Uh, it's an important ministry. It really is. So look, look ahead and think about some things that you can do to help us with that. It's good to be here with God's people and to share this time of worship and fellowship with one another. And so now let me invite you to stand and let us uh, have a moment of fellowship and share uh, the love of God with one another. I've got an announcement first. We've got some birthdays in the house. We have Beth Vincent, uh, Kirk Haynes. And Nibby Priest, I'm not going to tell you who's the oldest, but let's sing happy birthday to Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Nibby. Happy birthday to you. All right, let's stand.
Let us pray together. Oh God, we are indeed grateful to be a part of the family of God. We thank you that you are our Heavenly Father and you have chosen for us to be your children. And because you are holy, we seek to be holy, to be set apart for your, for your work. We seek to find those places where we shirk from growth, where we hide from responsibility, where we live in denial sometimes, and where we protect ourselves from disappointment, all the while living in a world where all of these things are inevitable. Help us. Help us to be bold in your name. Help us to not live in fear. Fear of failure, fear of setback, fear of what we see on TV, and we have seen so much in recent days. Oh God, I think for a while our nation had lulled itself into believing that we were beyond the strife of racial tensions, but it seems that we are not. The ugliness has raised its head again, and our nation is left in a wake of grief as lives have been lost and anger that was once under the surface is now again stirred. Allow us, O oh God, to be as the Good Samaritan. Allow us to put our fears aside that we may reach out to someone who is different from us with a hand of solidarity and love and concern. Indeed, help us to realize that you have called upon us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And you have told us that our neighbor is not limited to the color of one's skin or religious preference or anything else. And the question that we should be asking is not, who is my neighbor? We know the answer to that. My neighbor is Philando Castillo. My neighbor is Alton Sterling. African-American men killed in events that raise important questions about justice and prejudice and violent reactions. And my neighbor is Lorne Ahrens, Michael Smith, Michael Kroll, Patrick Zamaripa, and Brent Thompson, police officers who died carrying out their duty to protect and to serve. We pray for all of their families that your spirit would bring them peace. Yes, we know who our neighbor is. But the more important question that we should be asking of ourselves today is, what kind of a neighbor am I? What kind of love can I demonstrate in a world where anger and violence prevails? We pray today, O oh God, for a genuine faith. We pray for faith that empowers us to seek you always. We pray for a faith that will give us the energy to love our neighbors however we can. We pray for a faith that enables us to overcome our human tendencies to hate and to truly love one another. We know that your Holy Spirit fills our lives with the gift of love so that we may share that love with the world. But sometimes we're either unsure 
or unwilling to put that gift to use. So help us. Help us to be courageous and grow in our faith that we may be faithful servants and not simply faithful believers. And that we may truly be your hand of love and grace reaching out to all of our brothers and sisters. Help us, O God, to be the neighbor that you have called us to be. Amen.
morning. I don't think I'm going to be doing all the talking. I've got faith. All right, I need you guys to help me. Skittles, taste the... No. <laughs> no, you guys know this. Taste the... Ah, holler. You guys can open these and flip them. Share. I know you know how to do that. Kids do it in Africa all the time. So let's talk about rainbows. This is when I need you guys to talk. What do you know about rainbows? You know that you like the Skittles that you have in your mouth right now. That's what you know, right? <laughs> yeah? They're tasty. What? You had some Skittles. So what do you, what do you guys think about rainbows? Did you, have you guys seen one lately? Rainbows. What does it look like? What colors are in there? Red? There's a, I think there's a couple more. But, good job. Blue? Purple? Orange? Red? What do you guys think about them? Aren't they beautiful? The reason I'm talking about them is we're going to make rainbows upstairs. And I'm gonna, we're going to talk about Noah's Ark and how it all relates. Yes, it's the best story ever. So you guys don't know how to talk because you have Skittles in your mouth. Lesson learned from Miss Katie. (laughs) Hey, it's cool. I would not talk either if I had Skittles in my face. So rainbows are pretty, right? Who makes rainbows? Do they just spontaneously combust in the sky? Who? Say it loud, say it clear. What? No. Well, yes. They are a production of rain. But who, not what? Who? What did I say? Who? But you are right. Rainbows are a production of after the rain. God, say it loud. Yes! I am talking loud right now because of this. But I know you can talk loud. All right, so God makes rainbows, right? God makes some pretty beautiful things. Aren't they spectacular? Yeah. All right. So we're going to go upstairs and we're going to make our own rainbows. And we're going to talk about what they mean, how they're God's promise to us. Who wants to pray and thank God for beautiful rainbows and Skittles? Anybody want to pray with me? You guys don't talk to God ever? You do. So you want to talk to God now? I'll, I'll pray with you. You can come up here. It'll be okay. You guys have to get over your fear of these people. They are not mean. Trust me. They're not going to care if you mess up or you stutter or slur. I do those things all the time. Sometimes food comes out of your mouth. It happens. No praying. I know. Come on. Yes. All right, then. I'm going solo. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all of your beautiful creation, including rainbows and all the beautiful things in the summer, the beautiful things that we can grow and eat and learn about and be around all the time and help us to learn about your promise to us through the rainbow as we go upstairs and focus and learn. Um, In your name we pray, amen. You guys ready to make rainbows?
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the hope and peace that you have planted in our hearts. We thank you for all of our blessings that you have poured out upon us. We ask you to be with those who need you and help you, us to be a light for others. We dedicate our offerings and our gifts to the work of your church as we continue to share your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture this morning is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, So who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, (coughs) beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So, too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. 
He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I, re- when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So which of these three do you think a neighbor was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
John wrote that song. It's a a very powerful testimony of God's faithfulness. Um, Sometimes when we're not so faithful, God's always there. Thank God. And thank you, John. Okay, why were we here? Okay. The Good Samaritan. Great parable that Jesus uh, proclaimed. And it began, it, it came out of a discussion that Jesus and a Pharisee uh, were having. And, and here we have a religious lawyer And he's asking a question on the nature of the law. And Luke sets the stage by saying this. He says, a lawyer stood up in order to put Jesus to the test. And I'm sure that that's not the first time nor the last time a lawyer phrased a a trick question. We've seen it so many times on Matlock or Perry Mason or some of those other legal TV shows. But this was one of those questions which, uh, which any kind of answer would pose a problem. It was a test question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus could tell that this man was an astute student of the law, and so he asked him, what is written? In other words, use your own mind. What does the law say? You know. And the lawyer had a good answer. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your strength, and your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now that's a direct quote from Deuteronomy 6. That's a part of of the Shema, a, a confession that was regularly used in Jewish worship. And so Jesus replied, after the lawyer proclaimed this, Jesus replied, excellent, you are absolutely correct. If you do this, you shall live. You have not only penetrated to the essence of the law, but you have worded it succinctly. And so the question had been asked, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And the question had, be, had been answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. It had been asked and answered, so you would think that the man would be pleased and go on home. Ah, but a lawyer's responsibility is to define the limits of liability. Isn't that right? And so wanting to justify himself, he asked, but who is my neighbor? Thank you. In other words, where exactly does my responsibility end? Who exactly am I responsible for loving? And who can I get away with not loving? That's basically what he's asking here. It was was at this point that Jesus changes his method of teaching by 
by telling a story. A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to to Jericho. And we can surmise that the man was probably a Jew because this this was a road going right through the middle of, of, of Judea. And it was, it was likely that he had been up to Jerusalem to worship at the temple, and now he was on his way back home toward, towards Jericho. And this was a long and, and winding road, starting, starting at Jerusalem, which was the highest point, 2,500 feet above sea level, and going straight down to Jericho, nearly 850 feet below sea level, the lowest place on the face of the earth not covered with water the deepest city in the world but the jericho but the, the road to jericho was notorious for the thieves that frequented that area this was a lonely stretch of 17 miles of rocky mountain road crowded with caves and all sorts of danger and since the road was so often traveled by pilgrims going up to jerusalem and and business people going back and forth And because it presented so many opportunities to take advantage, thieves saw this as a place of easy pickings. By the time you rounded a bend, the bandits were already upon you and you had no chance to escape. And so this particular traveler in Jesus' story fell victim to thieves. He was ambushed, he was robbed, he was beaten, he was stripped, he was left on the side of the road to die. And now the question is, who's going to stop and help? Who is it that will not fall prey to the temptation to pass on by on the other side of the road? Well, the first passerby happened to be a priest. And it may seem curious to us that he makes no effort to stop and help this man. But this priest was probably thinking that the man was probably already dead and that the time for help had already passed. But he probably also had in the back of his mind the thought that according to temple law, whoever touched a dead person was considered to be unclean for seven days after that, which meant that he would not be able to take his turn in serving at the temple. And so obviously his obligations to the temple were more important than his obligations to this man who he didn't even know. So he passed on by on the other side. Not long ago on the Today Show, there was a clergyman being interviewed on the subject of AIDS. And his position was, these people aren't victims. They got themselves into this mess. They have no one to blame but themselves, so why should we help? That might well have been the position of this priest along the Jericho Road. He took his chances. If you travel by yourself on a dangerous highway like this, you you, you get what you ask for. He got himself into this, let him get himself out. Not very neighborly, huh? Well, then the next passerby was a Levite. A man literally born to the synagogue. and And he, to his credit, he slowed down. He curiously approached this beaten victim, and he was probably thinking about how how often bandits used decoys. One of their own would play the role of a victim beaten on the side of the road, and when some unsuspecting traveler would stoop over to help, the others would suddenly come running out and pounce upon him. 
And so the, the Levites' motto was safety first. Now, I'm not going to take the chance here. In life, you need to be careful what you commit yourself to. And so after, after glancing at the body and cutting his eyes back and forth to see if anybody was watching, he too passed by on the other side. You know, I'm not so sure that our reasons for passing by on the other side of the road have changed very much over the years. Some of us, uh, some of us may remember the, the Seinfeld show. You remember Seinfeld? You know, in its final episode back in, in 1998, I can't believe it's been that long, but in, in the final episode, the main characters, Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer, received a one-year sentence for failing to help someone who was being robbed. What happened was that their, their plane encountered some problems, and they were, they were stuck in a little town called Lakeland, Massachusetts. And so they decided to kill some time by wandering around the streets of this quaint little New England town. But while they were there, they became the innocent bystanders and witnesses of a carjacking. Well, being from New York, I mean, this happens all the time. Being from New York and, and being the kind of people that they were, what do they do when this happens? They do what any person like they would do. They started making fun of the person being robbed. You know, they were making fun of the guy who was being robbed. Kramer, who had a camcorder, films the incident as, as, as a curiosity. But they, they never lifted a hand to help. They never shouted for help. They literally were ten yards away and couldn't care less. They just stood there and watched. And so the robber speeds off with the car and the police arrive on the scene and with the excitement all over and the poor victim was standing dazed in the street, Jerry turns to his friends and says, well, why don't we go get something to eat? But as they walk away, the officer says, all right, hold it right there. And Jerry says, "Why?" You know, Jerry, he never puts a T at the end of a what? What? And the officer said, you're under arrest. And Jerry said, under arrest? What for? And the officer said, Article 223-7 of the Lakeland County Penal Code. And Elaine said, what? We didn't do anything. And the officer said, that's exactly right. The law requires that you help or assist anyone in danger as long as it's reasonable to do so. And George said, I've never heard of that. And so the officer said, it's new. It's called the Good Samaritan Law. Let's go. And the whole series, the whole series ended with them serving their time in jail. Well, the critics hated it. And it wasn't very funny. But there was a redeeming quality to this last episode. Because you see, for, for nine years, Seinfeld's characters used and abused and ridiculed and made fun of everybody that they met. And the four of them were, were just like the, the priests and Levites of our modern world, uh, stopping to, to help somebody just kind of crimps our style. And, it, and lending a hand, a hand requires too much of our time and our energy and our money. And so we don't do it. And looking back on it, I can't help but wonder if the script to, to this final episode of, of uh, Seinfeld was taken straight from Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan. 
George says that he had never heard of that law. And the officer said it was, it was new. But the truth of the fact is, it wasn't new at all. In fact, it's as old as the tablets that Moses brought down from Sinai. And there's, there was nothing new about it. But here's the thing. The story of the Good Samaritan uncovers our apathy. And it reminds us about how unwilling we are to stop. To stop what we're doing and to help someone in need. But, but don't let us... Don't let this lull you into believing that Jesus was talking about just being friendly to everyone. The point of this story is more biting than that. For you see, Jesus is asking this lawyer to treat not just his friends, and not just the people in his town, and not even just the folks stranded along the side of the road as neighbors, but he's asking him to treat the very people that he despises. The very people that he dislikes and makes fun of and even hates as a neighbor. That's what Jesus is asking of this man. In the words of Jesus, love your enemies. The story of the Good Samaritan is a lesson on how the law of Moses is to be understood and lived out in the most difficult of relationships. And I'm convinced that that apathy is just a word until you see it lived out, see it in action. And that's what the Seinfeld show did. And and believe me, I'm a fan of Seinfeld, but, you know, I I really, he's he's a funny guy. But if you look at the show, that's what the the show did so well over the course of nine years. It hid the apathy of the characters of that show behind the mask of humor. And in that last episode, the mask came down, and the critics hated it. That last show wasn't trying to get a laugh. It was trying to make a point. And it was the same point that Jesus was trying to make with his parable. You see, any time we refuse to stop and help and to to be a friend to someone in need, then we are committing the sin of the priest and the Levite. But then a third person came by. And as it turns out, this, this guy was, was not a Jew at all. But he was one of those other people. A hated Samaritan. And what does he do? He stops. He tends to the man's wounds. He applies first aid. He puts medicine on his wounds. He bandages him up. He takes him to a nearby inn. He leaves him there, but not before paying his bill. And then having finished his story, Jesus looks at the lawyer and asks, Now, who was the neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves? Well, of course, the point was pretty obvious. And the lawyer responds, The one who showed him mercy. Now, a very interesting thing has happened. A lawyer has asked a question which in effect says, what is the outer parameter of my responsibility? At what point am I no longer responsible? In effect, he was asking, where can I quit loving? 
And the answer that he probably wanted was, your responsibility ends with all of the faithful members of the Jewish community or all of the members of the Jerusalem Country Club or, or all of the members of your synagogue or something like that. That's where they wanted. That's the answer he wanted, that that's where you can stop being a neighbor. But that's not the point that Jesus' parable was made, was it? You see, through this parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus was saying, look, you're asking the wrong question. The real question is not who is my neighbor, what are the limits of my responsibility. It doesn't make any difference who your neighbor is. Your neighbor is anyone who needs you. The question is, who are you? The question is not who is my neighbor, the question is, am I a good neighbor? My friends, a person who has the love of God within him or her will respond with compassion to human need wherever it is found. And listen to this. Mercy for another human being is not qualified by race or status or religion or any other barrier that, the society, that society may put up. This Pharisee was looking for for where he could stop loving. He was looking for that that line that he could go up to and, and then stop loving over that line for anybody beyond that line. He was looking for the place where he could stop showing mercy. And it was Jesus who said, "It is in, it is the act of sharing love that makes someone a good neighbor. And it doesn't matter who that neighbor is. The question is, who are you? What are you doing? That's, that's what Jesus is throwing into our face with this parable. Reader's Digest told a story a while back about how God's Spirit helped a man fight the impulse to pass by on the other side. On September the 26th, 1944, Ray Hamley, who was a Royal Air Force pilot, and his crew dropped bombs on the town of Cleve, just inside Germany's border with Holland. Ray was just a, a young man in his early 20s at the time, and his bombs that day hit the railroad station and a number of Nazi factories and the town church. And he had an inkling that one of his bombs had hit the church. But war was war. On the ground that day, a young woman in Cleve mourned not only the, the loss of her church, but also the loss of her parents who lived in the house next door to the church. For the town of Cleve, 647 civilians and 879 military personnel would die before the war ended. Meanwhile, after the war, Ray went back to England, married his childhood sweetheart, became the head of a primary school, but then in 1983, almost 40 years later, someone handed Ray a newspaper clipping that showed how the, the people of a little town named Cleve, Germany, were rebuilding the, the Church of St. Mary's that had been bombed during World War II. Well, that triggered something in Ray's memory, and so he went up into his attic and found the, his old log book, and, and suddenly he realized that it had been his bomb that had destroyed that church back in 1944. And so on a, an impulse was born within him as he, as he thought about that tiny town and, and he, as he thought about how the loss of their church 
must have affected their lives. But then came that temptation to pass on by on the other side. He thought to himself, "Ah, come on, Ray. I mean, after all, the Nazis bombed innocent children in London and and, and it was wartime and it was a long time ago. Just forget about it. Just get on with your life. It's not your concern. But thank God Ray didn't let those second thoughts win out. He wrote a letter to the mayor of Cleve and he asked for forgiveness from the townspeople and he requested that his letter be read at the dedication of this new church. But in 1984, the next year, Ray got a reply from the people of Cleve requesting that he and his family come and see their new church, to to be there for the rededication of their church. Well, again, those second thoughts began to attack Ray, and he he couldn't even answer the the letter. And so once more, the parish priest in Cleve wrote a letter to Ray, and this time the letter was signed by 500 parishioners offering their forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. And so Ray Hamley went to Cleve, and his visit not only healed old wounds for him, for his own life, but it also brought about a tremendous reconciliation between Ray's hometown in England and the people of Cleve. And it all happened because by the, by the power of God, Ray Hamley was able to conquer his second thoughts And not pass on by on the other side. In light of what has taken place in the last couple of weeks in our nation. In light of the reemergence of racism and skepticism and prejudice and distrust. It would be so very easy for us to say. That doesn't involve me. I feel for that situation. The news reports evoke certain emotions within me. But those events did not take place in Henderson, Kentucky, and I have no responsibility regarding them. It would be very easy for us to just say, I'm just going to pass on by. But God is calling upon us to be a good neighbor. And there are no limitations to neighbors. We may want to say, well, that's not my neighbor. He's from another city. Or he espouses another political philosophy. Or she's in another economic bracket. Or another race. Or another religion. But Jesus is saying that it doesn't make any difference who that person is. If we are people within whom the love of God dwells, then we will respond with compassion to those whom we pass On the roadway of life. The young Pharisee asked. How can I love my neighbor. If I don't know who he is. And Jesus replied. Doesn't matter who he is. It's who you are. That's the question. Are you a good neighbor? I feel like Mr. Rogers. Amen. (laughs) Let's sing. Lord, here am I. Oh, yeah, here we are. Are we admirers or are we followers? Lord, here am I. 
let us be followers. Let us be followers. And that means let us be good neighbors, loving all people, whoever we may encounter, always. Amen. of that, let us go into the world in peace and courage, holding on to what is good, honoring all of God's children, loving and serving the Lord, rejoicing in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And let us go into the world loving the Lord our God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Amen. Amen.